Hello and welcome to Farmgate. Our strapline is practical solutions for climate and food security. Well, today we're getting down to the practical solutions and we're looking at how farmers can make the transition to regenerative agriculture. I'm joined by Claire Hill, who is the farm manager at FAI Farms just outside Oxford, and by Caroline Grindrod, who is a regenerative farmer, and her consultancy website is rootsofnature.co.uk. And Caroline, you're advising um, Claire and FAI on how to make this regenerative transition. But Claire, I wonder if I can sort of come to you first. What is FAI Farm? What kind of farm are you? Can you kind of describe what people would see on the ground if they uh, if they well, they walked on a footpath across the uh, the fields there? Yes, I can. Yeah, we're um, 1,200 acres in total, um, a livestock farm predominantly. We historically have grown a small amount of cereals, but actually as part of this process for a while, we're going to have a break from that so we can really focus on um, the livestock side of things. Uh, we're a beef and sheep farm, um, very traditional in many sense senses uh we've got 70 70 head uh sector cows which is growing and a, a a sheep flock of uh 380 ewes at the moment which is shrinking um but we're that's all kind of part of our decision making process which i guess we'll explain more in a minute who are your customers we are uh we we, we sell everything so we finish everything ourselves so we're a breeder finisher operation i guess and we sell um everything direct to slaughter into um the, the main abattoirs supplying the supermarket so we're a MS and Sainsbury's approved farm for supplying beef and beef and lamb. We also have a small uh, organic um, laying hen unit. Uh, we've got one, 1,200 hens. Uh, we supply eggs into local delis um, and restaurants into Oxford. So in terms of, you know, when you've made that transition or as, as you're making that transition, um, in terms of bringing customers with you, I, I guess the bigger opportunity actually is with eggs where you can engage directly with delis and that sort of thing and, uh, and sell and, and brand eggs in the way that you want to but there's less capacity for doing that with the, the with the beef cattle and the uh, and the sheep well um we we are looking at so i guess for us there's two two different um customer streams there's developing a market for regeneratively raised animals uh through the existing supply chain so there's definite interest from the larger outlets the supermarkets restaurant chains etc in in regenerative farming but there's not enough volume of product at the moment um to, to make that a viable supply chain so that's one area that we want to kind of stay close to and work on but at the same time there's huge interest from people citizens out there wanting to buy um, buy meat from a system that is putting back more than it takes out is actually helping with it cooling the climate rather than warming it and so we're exploring those options as well and um, through our uh, yeah be, being close to Oxford with Oxford University and um, through our egg customers then we're going to start exploring um, whether there's an opportunity to sell our meat through those channels as well and, and so what I guess the, the main question first question is why now why have you decided now to be become um, a regenerative farm where at the moment I, I believe you're organic yeah that's right we are we've been organic for 18 years uh, ever since FAI took over this farm from the university and um, we farmed it organically and why now I think it's been it, it, strangely two things have come together at once firstly it's been an evolution for us as we've um, taken on board all the information that's been out there about more intensive grazing practices and, and, and the benefit that can be had from um, better grazing. Uh, we've adopted many of those practices. We also, a few, quite a few years back, decided that with 
is it is such a large proportion of the world's grain being grown um, to be fed to animals or something didn't sit right that w w with us so we, we know that ruminants can survive off without grain so therefore um, we, we're going to try and achieve that and it's taken us a few years to get there so this journey for us probably started four or five years ago um, but really um, it, it's really ramped up when we got savvy with our with our grazing and and, under, and, and our water infrastructure on the farm and we've had to make lots of changes like that and then uh, with, with going through that process it's led us to start questioning everything so we you know we questioned the things we've been doing um, and we started asking ourselves more questions about what we were doing and that led us down this path at the same time of course everybody's awareness is, uh, is so much more present including our own of, of the kind of climate crisis that we're in and so we started to look at our own we're, we're as farmers coming under such attack um, rightly and wrongly I guess uh, a lot wrongly but it feels very it feels feels very like a position of attack at the moment and feeling very enclosed and it's about try if we found something that we feel that we're like we can be really excited and positive and have a great story to tell there there and with with a system that does undoes or does good in all the things that people are attacking us for at the moment we're not doing those things any longer or we're working towards not doing some of those things so um it, it feels great and, and, and really um empowering okay so so let's let's have a look at that then unpack that slightly if we can go to um caroline you are a regenerative farmer you're a consultant around this um, lots of people will have heard the term regenerative agriculture, but what does it really mean? Yeah, well, this is a this is something that's coming into question more and more because we're all a little bit worried that it might start to get diluted and it doesn't have a there is no one definition of what regenerative agriculture is so it is different things to different people and I think that is one of the things that Claire and I are discussing quite a bit at the moment is how do we define it and make sure that we're aligned with the right the right end of it I suppose and I think one of the Wikipedia if you google up what regenerative agriculture is it says it's a system of farming principles and practices that increases biodiversity enriches soils improves watersheds and enhances ecosystem services um, and absolutely that encapsulates what it is for me and it also I think above and beyond that it's a completely diff different way of thinking about your role within the ecosystem and your farm and instead of thinking of you you as the manager and the fact that you're you're sort of overseeing this we really are sort of putting ourselves into the place of be, being in the ecosystem with our animals um, so it's not about sort of separating nature on one side of the fence and then and then producing food on the other. We are part of creating a healthy ecosystem. And if we do that right, every everything within that ecosystem is more abundant and healthy and we don't need as much input. And we can also hopefully even increase the output. So it's coming from, yeah, it's a, it's a thinking differently. It's definitely a systems thinking uh, change um, and it's very much about trying to to help the planet recover whether it's carbon or better hydrological function um, and improve watershed and and certainly biodiversity it's all of that but there's lots of sort of fractions of regenerative agriculture that are you know more focused on you know just addressing things with you know reseeding or just not plowing as deep or whatever it happens to be now that's that's not a systems thinking approach difference that's that's really just trying to damage things less now that's not regenerative agriculture but ultimately i think a bit like organic a bit like a lot of these 
you know, uh, conservation farming, all of them, um, it means a lot of different things. It's very broad and it can be very easily diluted. You, you mentioned organic there. And I think, you know, for, for a lot of people, um, you know, over the last decade or two, we've, we've been pointed towards organic. Organic is the environmentally uh, friendly way to farm. But I, I wonder, it, it seems to me that, you know, if we're looking at differences between different kinds of agriculture, we've got mainstream agriculture and we're familiar with um, with the fact that, um, you know, there are lots of inputs, um, you know, fertilizers and and, uh, and different things that go into uh, mainstream agriculture and organic it seems to me is a sort of is a variant on that it's it's sort of the best version of uh, of mainstream agriculture but it's still sort of quite focused around the inputs whereas it seems to me that regenerative agriculture is coming in in quite a different direction it's a very different approach um, around those ecosystem services that you were talking about yeah that's right so we we tend to i mean i uh, generally use holistic management as my framework for managing the complexity of transitioning to regenerative agriculture. It's one of the, the tools that's available and, and that's, you know, I am a um, accredited professional with, with the Savory Institute, but I broaden that out and, and use lots of different thoughts and, and, and my background brings lots of different um, elements to the table. But we essentially look at the, the, the landscape we're trying to manage through the four ecosystem processes, we call it. So that's the water cycle, the mineral cycle, community dynamics and energy flow and each one of those you know energy flow is a lot about photosynthesis how much how can we capture sunlight and use energy that's from the sun rather than fossil fuel energy how can we use those plants to to build soil because essentially that's what's driving carbon sequestration through the liquid carbon pathway Uh, community dynamics is how do we get more complexity in the system so we've got we're adding species all the time uh, and each one of the species has a different function that helps you know, get rid of the root cause of a lot of the things that we're dealing with in agriculture. So a lot of the the costly um, problems in agriculture, whether it's, you know, worm burdens or pests in your crops or whatever, is is a symptom of a lack of complexity. We've simplified that. Complexity is a funny word, isn't it? It it can mean many things to many people. And it's, and it's, in some ways, it's quite a scary word. Is it, it, when you're adding complexity, is it, is it complex? Is it difficult to do? Well, this is why you need a different way of thinking about it, because ultimately, it's ever changing and you can't pin it down. And in agriculture, we've, we've liked to try and turn our system into a machine that we can understand and get, and get predictable results, but that's not how nature works. So if we want to truly start to regenerate um, our ecosystem, which is ultimately what regenerative agriculture is, we need to learn to work with that complexity. And I suppose it means a few different things, biodiversity, increase in moving parts, and just being able to work with the fact that it's ever-changing and ever-evolving um, is when, when I'm talking about complexity. So in a in a you know an ecosystem, we, lo- we want lots of different plant species, we want lots of different insects, we want lots of different birds, and then we want lots of different species of, of or, or different operations within our agricultural system to fit into that. And all of those um all of those elements will bring benefits. You know, just a simple thing is things like um problems with fish flies uh, in cattle you know well if you lose all your dung beetles on the legs of the dung beetles get carried mites that eat the face fly eggs so everything keeps itself in balance when you've got lots of different when you've got biodiversity in the system and if you start to simplify that down then you get all these problems occurring but it's very hard to quantify in a sort of mechanistic way so this is why we need a whole different way of thinking about how to manage our land 
and we always look at the root cause. When you're dealing with a symptom and you keep getting the same problem, in organic farming, sometimes you might say, oh, let's find the least damaging way of treating that symptom. But ultimately what we're looking at in regenerative agriculture is how do we stop that happening in the first place and what what is out of balance that's making that happen? Mm. So it's a very different way of thinking about it. So um, cause and not the symptom. And, and Claire, you know, you've talked a little bit about those sort of global drivers, if you like, wanting to do the best you can with the farm that you have. A, because it's the right thing to do, but B, because there's there's public pressure for farming to get better. Um, so those are the global drivers. But, but were there on-farm drivers as well? Were there things that you thought, well, actually, if I was farming in a different way, perhaps we'd, we'd have a, a better, healthier um, farm with, with better welfare, etc.? Were there local um, reasons as well? The, ba- the big one uh, has been our sheep worm problem, actually. And um, we've been very proactive in our worm management on the sheep. And we do faecal egg counting. We're constantly, uh, you know, we're looking at the products that we're using. Uh, we move them after we uh, you know, moving them, making sure they're not regrazing um, after we've wormed them. Following all, all as much as possible we can, fo- following the, the right advice on, on keeping on top of on top of um, the worm problem. But we, it's even been an organic system. It's it just seems to keep escalating, and we've 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 got now resistance to our um, yellow drenches, which are the ones that we were relying on um, as an organic system because we're restricted on some of the others, um, on the white the white the clear drenches. Um, and that that was a kind of a, a, a sort of moment where I, I kind of realised that we need to change because the, our vets are, are brilliant and, and supportive and, um, and and really good with ideas on different things. But the the first port of call really in the conversation was well, what, where, which drugs do we go to next? And I was just thinking, well, you know, fast forward three years and we're in the same position. If other drugs is our only option, we need to do something different. And at the same time, our vets had talked about some um, different farms that had been um, putting animals on uh, like on arable farms where there, there's been no sheep on for years and years and and they're going on and they're not having to worm treat at all so it's like okay so it is possible to have sheep without worms and uh how, how do we achieve that here here on a livestock farm which has been heavily grazed with sheep for the last you know 50 years odd um because sheep are really important to us about um bringing diversity to our farm um, they bring us an additional income stream we're a large proportion of the farm is a floodplain um, and their light feet are really important for grazing um, that that area of the farm we can't really put cattle down there for a lot of the year and therefore you know sheep are the best thing to turn that into human human food so we wanted to yeah so that was the kind of the, the tipping point for us and by yeah thinking differently about how we manage it we're actually actually looking at it now and thinking yeah we, we you know we might just actually be able to do this i didn't think it would be possible but with a completely restructured um thought process about how we manage the groups of sheep and and how we instead of having different management groups which would be best practice you know your fittest animals going onto your best ground um so that they finish quicker and and, and what we ended because we were doing that and what we had was like nine different sheep groups across the farm all behind electric fence all going on to fresh grazing every three days which was perfect from uh you know growth rate point of view but it means that we've got sheep circling around the farm the entire time so there's no break in um there's no break in in worm cycles and especially with the changing climate worm cycles do appear to be uh, worms appear to be evolving to to circumnavigate what we traditionally would use to manage them um, and secondly we've basically got I've got a man on the farm full-time or and women we've got both uh, both people on the farm or full-time um 
full-time electric fencing, basically trying to keep all these different groups of sheep. So we're sort of like, okay, take a step back. How do we rest? How do we, what we need is to break this worm cycle. The longest amount of time possible between one grazing and the next means that the worms have no host in, in between. And in order to do that, we need to mob all of our sheep up. So we use lambs, followers, finishing lambs, breeding lambs, the whole lot in one group. If we did that, that would allow us to maximize the rest period we had because the, the, the sheep would be going all the way around the farm and it would be a long time before they came back to field one again. When you say a long time, how long? Um, well, in, we, we sort of targeted ourselves with could could we do it for a year, but could we break every field, only be grazed once per year? And actually that's, that's probably not possible. Um, and so... It, it, across the whole farm but certainly where we've got the vulnerable animals like the lambs um that is what we're that's what we're aiming to do so that lambs will not graze the same part of the field more than once uh, um, and, it, and that's enough time to break the worm cycle is it you, you it's certainly think? much better than what we have been doing <laughs> yes yeah it depends which worms and we have multiple uh, challenge with different worms it depends which worms but um and all the worms behave differently but the best thing we can do for all of them it, um because you can it's really hard individually as a farmer I, anyway maybe not everyone for me you get really bogged down with well we've got the presence of homonchus this time and trigosonglus the next time and like how okay so we need to do this and do that and it's all different but the one thing that's consistent is the longer that cycle the the, the less likely the worms are to um you know to be able to reinfect that's what that's what we're, we're, we're aiming to achieve. And, and so presumably that's that's, you know, quite a big program of management where you're um, you're testing on a regular basis, intervening on a regular basis, but also making decisions about the way that you manage land and the interaction of the animals with the land so that you can ultimately try and break that cycle and reduce the medications. Yeah, absolutely. So it will it will mean us having to think we're already having to think differently. So uh, like we mean that maybe our lambs won't finish quite as quickly because they're not on the absolute like rocket fuel of ground but we'll maybe we won't have to treat them so therefore we've we've saved ourselves a medication treatment in both in time and energy in into doing that treatment that, that giving the chemical itself which is as i'm learning more about it understanding that that that, that is is probably interfering with the cycles of, of um of other insects within the land that could be beneficial um yeah we, we reduce the amount the the, the the amount of treatments that we have to do um but we might mean that we're because the sheep are not on always the most optimum piece of of land from a sort of energy point of view so it's us having it's our mindset it's my, my mindset me more than i would say um my team on the farm are probably more uh more pushing me saying come on we you know it's me that's having to like get my head around a different way of doing it because we've you know had best operated at best practice and followed the best advice that there's been um and so it's a real mindset change well uh, that was something i was going to ask you actually i mean you, you know change is always associated with risk you know there are risks with with anything and, and um was everyone enthusiastic on the on the farm uh, about what you were proposing about this transition or, or were they dissenting voices as well I think that um, actually we're, we've it, it's certainly some blank looks to start with, um, but we've because it, we've sort of evolved, um, evolved ourselves. Um, it's actually been it's actually been okay, and the farm team are, are really are really up for it. I would say the more questions have come from. Um, more mature amongst us uh, and, and my seniors have been like uh, you, you can never outwinter cattle on that farm you know we've been there for 20 years it's never been possible before why is it possible now you know it's wetter now than it's ever been um, and you'll never keep solaires that's the cattle breed we have behind an electric fence and um, you'll never you have to have mains electric all over the farm and it, 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 you know, comments like that those and, were the and I'm, I'm, I'm hearing from you even even as you say that that there's been some hat eating going on yes yeah there ha yeah there has yeah there has um, and 
of course, it's no, that, that's the bit you mentioned earlier, the word confidence. So, you know, we probably could have done this if we would have done it a few years ago. But with, with things like that, you think, crikey, yeah, you know, I can't take a risk. Um, we're doing these things. But the more you investigate it and find other farmers that are doing it who say, no, we because I was like, oh, you can't do it on this farm because it's heavy clay. And then you speak to other farmers and say, well, we've got heavy clay and we're doing it. And you're like, OK, right. So maybe we can. So we've and, and then so each decision you make that goes against the grain, you just gain more confidence. So the next time somebody tells you you can't do something, so we have a phrase here that we use now is not when somebody says you can't do that on this farm we say how can we do that on this farm so nothing is a no now and we explore you know how, how can we achieve it um and now i have farms come to me saying but we've got heavy clay and we can't do it on our farm and i say no we thought that but come and look at ours and then they come and look and then um yeah you know everybody's surprised so it's, it's a really nice place to be so so caroline if you were sort of talking to um to claire over the last five years and you're looking at the farm system um that existed at fai and the the transition to what there is now and there will be in the future what were the kind what when you're sort of giving that advice what are the kind of things that you're picking up on in practical terms what are you saying what are you saying to people about what they'll be doing um differently in in time to come i think what's absolutely key is that it's there's no uh, one system that's going to fit everybody absolutely the opposite um every environment's entirely different every and, and we've got to bring the people element into this people want different things so you know it's you really do have to fit it it's not truly sustainable unless that family's doing what they want to do and that's going to last long term so we've got to really take a, a lot more you know thought over that so what we do is we always work on um gathering all that together looking at what their landscape is you know suited to what do they want to produce as a, you know for the food and um and how does it practically fit in with the kind of the dynamics of the family or the team or whatever you know you working with and and Claire and I and the team will be working together for a while now just to sort of really get that thought process going there's a lot of brainstorming around that you know and you do need to go through some sort of training transition to really start to think differently so for me one of the big factors is um, really becoming kind of eco-literate I suppose is is walking around looking at your farm in a different way and starting to question Claire said you know questioning yourself that's really actually a huge part of the process so what I encourage people to do is again we talked about those four ecosystem processes you go out into the field do some infiltration tests get to know how does your um, field infiltrate water compared to the hedgerow next to it um, and why why is that what's the soil structure do things like sectamenta dig holes look at your soil structure work out what management's been resulting in what and why looking at photosynthesis you know in the areas that are allowed to be rough for a little bit longer and haven't been cut for silage in, the, in that edge you know how is that performing you know and what does the soil look like and what's the infiltration test like in those areas and what could we do differently and then I think the next key step that is always a problem because actually you know Claire nailed it every farm I go on to and work with they'll say we can't do that here and it doesn't matter what you're saying to them and where they are in the country. That is always the response, just about always. Um, so everybody has a history of, of things not working and then they just bin the whole thing on the back of that. So what we've got to really start to do is break that down. And I think the more people that get into regenerative, the better because we've got more examples. And it, and it sounds like that's kind of a, a bit of a challenge because, I mean, obviously every farm is different and every farmer has a slightly different approach. But it but it feels like in mainstream agriculture, you know, we've been sold formulas, um, you know, for different types of farm for a very long time. Organic is a, is a sort of formula that you can apply and then make your own but when you're talking about regenerative agriculture and you're saying that every farm is different and every farmer needs to find their own solution and look at their own land that 
that's that sounds like it's it's a more difficult transition to um to to replicate across the country because people really need to come to it with open um open arms open minds and with the uh, capacity to really think about what they're doing and to listen to what they're doing yeah absolutely and uh, and and that's why we've got to train the individual so unlike you know in environmental farming where you've got lots of prescriptions for managing habitats in a particular way um from you know natural England or in organic farming where you're just not allowed to use this and you're not allowed to do that but we can give you a derogation for that so it's prescriptive and then when you're doing that you are an organic farmer we're we're completely different we train the individual we try and get a mindset shift so they're looking at the land differently they're questioning what is the root cause of that um you know and as i say you're looking through those four ecosystem processes everywhere you go so you're starting to understand what the land the feedback you're getting from the land and once you've trained that individual then you start to just make decisions and the holistic management framework is one way of doing that but there's lots of other of other people doing different things but ultimately it is about trying to i kind of call it 360 thinking you you sit down and you say okay well if we um have all these different groups of animals, what are the consequences? And you know, what if we did this? If we, um, you know, just put everything into one mob, how would that improve things? And and then what would that allow us to do? So it's really just, and then what are the social consequences of that? Can we actually manage that within the people we've got on our team? You know, um, what's the impact on the animal health? Is is that worth the the risk? You know, is that going to reduce our finishing times? Well, yeah, yes. But as Claire said, that's going to also really reduce the amount of input costs we've got, and it's going to improve our soil health because we're not killing insects. You know, so you really start to question around the environment, the people and the economics of it, you know, because ultimately it's got to pay. So um, it's really just starting to think those processes through. And as I say, testing, doing lots of tools out in the field, understanding what's happening, getting in tune with your landscape, getting the feedback from that landscape. Um, but, yeah, it's a huge shift. And and, and in our work now, and we... Um, Wilderculture is a community interest company that we're running where we're joining up with large-scale landowners, mostly in the uplands, and we're sort of adapting regenerative to the upland areas. We're doing like um, one to two year transitions. So they go through an initial training, but then we, they have a support um, package, if you like, where we are on, you know, available to chat through daily decisions. And we really, that is, that's the key. The decisions day by day by day need to be more holistic, more 360, thinking about the root cause and the impacts on those different elements and, and and as you say that's a lot harder to teach and understand but ultimately it's just far more successful in the end and claire what, what would you say have been the uh, the biggest challenges i mean you're, you're you were saying that um, your transition has ha- has taken place or, or the mindset transition anyway has taken place over the last five years or so um that you've introduced um change gradually across that time uh, have there been particular challenges that you've had to overcome after mindset then then there's the pra- the practical challenges so um our our main change in the way that we've managed our grazing i guess is um is is moving to um moving at, you know keeping animals behind electric fence high high density of animals in a small area for a short period of time in order to extend the rest periods which we talked about and also to have the the kind of trampling effect and even application of manure and for us um the biggest challenge was water so we've got water troughs around the farm some are from springs some are from, some feed from the rivers so there's all different summers from the mains um, and because what we our area of land now actually covers three different farms originally so the water sources are all very different um, and you're on the floodplain aren't you and, and, and it must have been really wet over the last few weeks 
Yeah, it, it has. So we don't have animals out on the floodplain. We do have, thankfully, this sort of high bit of land up under Whiteham Woods, which allows us to do the outwintering. Um, but it was it was it was looking at that, and, and we had to get help with that because we pondered on that for it. That's probably what delayed us for a couple of years. Like, how in the world are we going to get water around the farm? And then we, we got we you know, we got some help and um, from uh, James Daniel at Precision Grazing, and he he helped. He said, right, go go round uh, all your water troughs in just pick one area of the farm like one block go around test all the water troughs and see what the flow rate is and uh we were blown away because it varied so much and so we picked the fastest flowing trough and then we we um this this did require some investment um was to buy water pipe and we call it our north and south circular so around that block of land we have a, a pipe that goes around the north side and a pipe that goes around the south side and it means that um you know sort of circulates all the way around it's fast flowing water because when you've got a lot of animals in a small area those slow filling troughs they can't keep up with the water demand um but something interesting so that was our biggest thing we needed to get fast flowing water to 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 big groups of animals so our north and south circular do that but the other thing that's interesting in an animal behavior way that changes the way animals drink is that in the in the past the, the mob would move around a large the, 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 say mob, the group of animals would move around a large field and um and, and drink and when they got to the trough you know or they decided to go and drink they'd all drink at once so you need a lot of water very quickly but actually when when they're in a small space and they're never very far from a trough they actually all drink individually through the day so the water demand actually hasn't been as much as we anticipated it to be um, but that that was that was one of our biggest um kind of stalling factors that, that we just couldn't work out how, how to get going um, and, and so and you worked that out by taking a bit of advice doing some measurements taking some readings and then be uh, putting yourself in a position once you've got the information of being able to understand what was necessary and moving moving ahead yeah fantastic uh, and i'd like to move on from you know we talked a lot about um you know why why and what um, regenerative agriculture is and we talked a little bit about the uh, the changes that you started to make on the the farm in oxford i'd like to move on just slightly to uh yield and the economic impact of uh, of regenerative agriculture um i, I mean my understanding is that if you're going from mainstream to organic, um, then potentially you're going to see um, a decrease in yield, but you may see, um, if you're lucky, an increase in profit because you're selling what you're selling for a bit more money because there's that organic brand associated with it. How, how is yield affected with um, regenerative agriculture? Well, we're very early early in our journey, so it's it's hard to say, but having spent the last um, couple of days doing some very detailed grazing planning for this year, we can already see that uh, there's going to be be, there's definitely the opportunity for this farm to be able to hold more stock um, and that 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 was actually true a few years ago we, we did some grazing planning then um, but the, the problem was we didn't incorporate the outwintering element so that was part of what led us down this journey that we we we, we realized we could hold more animals on the farm but we needed a, to put up a big shed to uh, to be able to house them over the winter. And we don't, um, we're, we've only six years left on our tenancy. I'm sure, I'm hopeful, you know, we're all in agreement that it will be extended, but it was a big risk for us to take. And also just justifying that capital on lots of concrete. And then of course, all the, the, the loaders and tractors and everything that go with it. And that was the other thing, that kind of light bulb moment, that thing we've got to do this differently. So what we need to be doing is moving animals out of the shed and, and calculating the number of animals we can hold on the farm based on our outwintering. And so now, even with that, even without wintering now, we realise that we can still hold more animals on the farm. But I think our biggest... Um, I don't, so we, we will be able to have a higher stocking density, I'm sure. I don't know what that is yet, and so I can't give you a figure, but where our profitability 
um, as a farm, um, I am confident will improve is in our reduced level of inputs. So we're less straw in, in the sheds. We're going to have to make less silage because we're, we're feeding out. So there's less tractor work in the winter, um, less diesel, not just the diesel that we're using on a daily basis, but that, you know, the embedded energy and carbon that goes into building tractors, et cetera, in the first place. Um, and, and our costs on running those, uh, we will hopefully be able to have fewer machines. Um, so our running costs will go down. Our treatment costs will go down um, and on animals and um, as I talk about the wormers and, and other things. And also then, of course, the time that takes to do all of those things. So that's potentially less straw, less feed, less diesel, um, fewer machines um, as you go forward, um, lower rates of medicine need and an increased herd size. That's that's that sounds like it's a really positive story. Yes. Yeah. And the other the other final thing, I guess, on that, yeah, which contributes to it is that this um, it's quite scary when you look at the number of animals that we will be running in one group when we, we talk about running I, the aim is to have one mob of cattle and one mob of sheep practically at bulling times and different things that's not always possible so it splits down but it's certainly much fewer groups and so the time taken to do the management of the different groups as well um will reduce um and so t- there can be more time spent with with livestock uh, sort of out in the field and observing what's happening and um uh, humphrey uh, who is our farm foreman um he's brilliant and he talks about feedback he says you know the land t- tells you um, and the animals tell you and that's what we haven't necessarily looked out for before with with uh, we've been organic for a long time and we've ticked all the boxes and we've done all the stuff but we've not maybe looked at what what, what our environment is telling us um, and if you leave the animals for two for an extra day on a piece of land that you shouldn't have done it the land will tell you or if you've moved them off too quickly um, you, you will see that and it's all about feedback um, so it gives us more time to focus on that which will allow us to make quicker gains and because you've been farming in and because you're farming in the way that you are um, you're also contributing to and seeing uh, a restoration of nature a regeneration of nature um, around the farm and a is that correct and b are you also um, feeling that you're getting additional carbon sequestration yeah well we're really we're really early days um, but but yes um, already uh, Caroline's uh, my favorite phrase of hers is there's no such thing as waste so when we think about um, long grass in fields and it's got away from us and maybe it's you know it's gone past its optimum um, energy level but actually even if that is it is the case with the traditional way of thinking but um actually with the animals trample that in it's, it's just trampling in to build more soil um and so when we when we start thinking like that and then and seeing the spread of manure and the trampling effect that the animals are having now on on small areas of, of the farm one by one and the, and the rest times then um yes are confident that we're um we're, we're going to be carbon and um, we did have one field as an experiment that we left ungrazed uh, we sort of grazed it for lambing time and then we left ungrazed all summer and loads of species i say loads uh, not uh, quantify them but yeah, a number of species came up that we've not seen on on the farm um before and so or, or certainly in recent years so we're really confident that actually we've got a seed bank un- underground that will um come if with with more rest will will come to fruition and with more that will mean more species mean more soil biological activity which means um, the ability to, to have more microbes and drag more material back down and, and lock more carbon in the soil. Uh, and more uh, a, a greater diversity of nutrition for the livestock as well coming yeah. through there. Uh, and, and will you be able, as you go forward, do you think, to, um, to integ- integrate um, new trees, agroforestry within that system as well? Is that something you're planning? Yeah, absolutely, yeah. And um, we're, we're planning it because um, our initial planning of more agroforestry came from wanting to provide more sh- shade and shelter to the animals because 
because as we are um what, what Although we're organic here, we, we we had some large fields that over the years, I imagine, were much smaller, but the hedges have come out, you know, for all the reasons we know. But even here, um, as one of our um, higher level stewardship schemes, we had to take out a number of mature trees. It seems crazy now. Only 10 years ago, we were taking down mature trees to uh, not allow corvids to nest because we wanted to encourage ground nesting birds. But in reality, that field's on a, on a footpath and ground nesting birds were always going to be very unlikely. Um, so all the, you know, it's amazing what we learn in a relatively short space of time so actually we need to put back um we we, we need to put back trees um for those reasons but yeah in, into breaking our fields up into smaller areas and providing shade shade and shelter um through, through our larger fields and we'll look at um what species of tree that we use that could be maybe uh, you, you know looking at fruit trees and, and other things that will provide a second a second um kind of harvest as well as just providing the carbon locking up the um of, of trees and also um helping with soil structure and ground uh water um that we because we have obviously a wet farm being being on the floodplain it, it's it's fascinating stuff and i think it will, and hopefully we'll come back uh, and talk about some of this stuff again uh, in in the future but but caroline just on that sort of yield and economic impact um front i wonder if you could sort of comment generally about what you would expect from regenerative systems in the uk and elsewhere in the world yeah absolutely i mean we mustn't forget that regenerative in the UK is pretty uh, is pretty young still. So there's many projects kind of in, you know, in their early stages and getting great results. And, and lots of people that are doing any sort of paddock grazing are seeing an increase in yield almost immediately. I'd say that's fair to say. Um, I'm I'm always a little bit more cautious than some about you know oh you'll double your numbers and all the rest of it i think in the uk we've, we've always been quite high highly stocked to start with i think the biggest opportunity is as we've just explained is getting rid of your input costs and then being better for the planet for the fact that you can reduce your, your carbon output and all your costly output you know um so your inputs you know sort of all the medications and everything that claire listed that's a huge huge thing for for farmers if you can be more profitable and still produce the same amount of um, output then that's pretty good and then I'm pretty confident from the evidence that we've seen of the kind of the projects that are in early stages um, and um, from particularly from the people that are doing it really well across the world in comparable places, regions, habitats, um, that we can definitely increase the productivity. I think in the uplands, what we're finding with my wilderculture projects where you've got large areas of moorland and heath and things like that, um, slightly different. What we can achieve there is um, is definitely regeneration of the soil and the ecosystem and the biodiversity. Um, and, and we certainly can maintain, we hope, um, productivity depending on the layer of the farm by you know using the the hay meadows and paddock grazing those um in a way that's going to you know do all the things that we've been talking about sequester carbon increase output um but on the upland areas then there's not a lot of scope for increasing numbers up there but overall you just manage that you have to have a whole system redesign that's going to take out the costs maintain numbers or yeah slightly increased numbers Wonderful. Well, thank you very much, both of you. That's all we've got time for in the autumn. We'll try and come back and, and have a second podcast on this subject to look at um, how these changes are embedding, um, you know, how things are going for you, what, what the challenges have been over the summertime. Um, but for now, uh, Claire Hill, farm manager uh, at FAI Farms, and Caroline Grindrod, uh, regenerative farmer and consultant uh, for rootsofnature.co.uk. Thank you very much for your time. If you've enjoyed listening, please come back and listen to more. Tell your friends, like us, review us and share our links. Farmgate is a partnership project for Farmwell and FAI Farms and you can join the conversation on Twitter by searching for Farmgate Podcast. 
I've been Finlow Castain. Bye for now.